from the mind of the sapient simian. This is Nobody's Prodigy. Free-range ideas from beyond the box. This is the Sapient Simeon, and welcome to Nobody's Prodigy, episode 43, an episode I'm going to call The Tin Man's Heart. The word robot was first coined almost exactly a century ago by the Czech writer Karol Kapik from the Czech word robotnik, meaning forced worker. While the idea of a mechanical man predates that event, the implication that any success in such a field would give rise to a guilt-free labor force seemed almost as inevitable as the idea that such machines given time would rise up against their human overlords to establish a new, colder, more logical, calculating, and powerful dominance never to be beaten. It's a fear and a prediction that looms ever large over our technology at a time when we creep closer to effective robots and successful artificial intelligence than we ever have before. But what if this scenario wasn't the only possibility? What if we could change the nature of the relationship from the beginning and grow instead as companions? Now, I don't think any conversation about robots can really begin or progress very far without mentioning the work of Isaac Asimov. Isaac Asimov is a science fiction writer that particularly enjoys delving into the concepts and the conflicts around the use of robots and the interaction between robots and humanity. I particularly enjoy his book, iRobot, which is nothing like the movie, in which he actually tackles various scenarios in which the hard programming within a particular robot comes into conflict with specific instances where hard programming, though it seems perfect in its execution, develops into these difficult situations that only expose the failure of that programming to be universally applicable. And I think when you read these various books, the number one thing you take away is the actual pitfalls of using hard logic and rules for absolutely every situation all the time. And the idea of creating rules, no matter how hard you try to sculpt them, any hard and fast rules that are not negotiable will always have some situation in which they fall. In these scenarios, I find it obvious that emotion and personality, though they're seen as dangerous and unpredictable, are actually necessary for correct functionality. It has in fact been shown that among humanity, the use of emotion and factoring in of attachments are actually critical when it comes to proper decision making. And when you look at literature and various forms of media, in general, all of the decisions and actions taken by artificial intelligence that are seen as bad decisions, poor decisions, or cold decisions are made because of a lack of emotion or a lack of understanding of the attachments that are taking place within a certain scenario. And this attachment or lack of attachment works both ways. By building attachment, it actually gives value to the interaction itself. If you don't have an attachment to the artificial intelligence that you're dealing with, because the artificial intelligence doesn't have any attachment to you, then there's a real lack of interaction between the two of you that is felt in 
a real absence of connection. And to some extent, humanity has proven that their ability to build attachments with even the most inanimate of objects is somewhat inevitable. But these connections require some sort of character. You don't necessarily build an attachment with an object the first moment you open it, when it shows no signs of having been used, no signs of having been yours, no signs of the history between you and that particular object. But given time, as that particular object collects various forms of wear and tear, or marks, or otherwise shows the history that you have with that object, those signs of character actually enable you to develop a connection with that object and to develop a certain personality within that object despite its complete inanimate nature and despite its not having any actual fundamental ability to return that character and that relationship to you, the owner. Because humans automatically anthropomorphize things that they interact with. And in a sense, when a creator of an artificial intelligence doesn't include that within the coding of the entity that they are creating, they only create an object that can be perceived as cold or mean or even evil. And the truth is, the signals that imply character and emotion need not be complex, nor need they hamper the effectiveness of the system in which they are placed. I've actually, surprised, given this some thought as far as what is necessary to create the simulation of a character response within a given system to replicate the sort of personality that would be a minimum needed to respond to human interaction and would give the human enough feedback to feel as though that particular intelligence has a necessary amount of character. Now, my framework, as I have contrived it, essentially is comprised of three sliding scales. The first of these scales is fairly simple. It essentially goes from one end to the other where the amount of speed or haste that a particular task is done within. On one end of the scale, a task will be done very quickly, as hastily as possible. And on the other end of the scale, the task will be done in your spare time, not necessarily quickly, as time allows. Now, the second of these sliding scales comprises a scale by which the artificial intelligence would be able to recognize the person making the request as being either a stranger or someone that they are familiar with. And again, this is a sliding scale from one end to another by which a person can be at various points along that either closer to familiarity or closer to unfamiliarity. And the third and final scale upon which this particular framework is built is the scale of success, leisure, or reward based against the scale of failure, pain, or punishment. Now, in this situation, actual pleasure or punishment is not necessarily required. Simply the simulation of pleasure or punishment and the appropriate representation of pleasure or punishment 
based around the events of success or failure or based around external stimulation and its intent to cause either pleasure or pain. In this way, using these three basic values on a scale from 1 to 10 or a scale from 1 to 100, depending on what kind of specificity you want to deal with, you can create the impression in a system of having a fairly wide range of emotional reactions. For example, if a particular unit was to behave hastily for someone that they saw as being familiar and had a pleasurable reaction to it, the person actually experiencing that reaction from that particular artificial intelligence could see that reaction in concert as displaying the emotion of excitement or even joy. Alternatively, a unit that did the task slowly for someone that they were not familiar with or a stranger and did the task successfully could still be seen as behaving in a way that would be thought of as suspicious, in which they still accomplish the task, but they don't accomplish the task quickly because they don't know the person or they don't recognize the person as being familiar. And these three responses give the impression of the emotion which could be seen as being suspicious. Another situation would be in which something was done in haste for someone that was not recognized and was showing a painful reaction. In these situations, the emotion that's being displayed could be seen of as being fearful because the person they don't recognize, they still are doing the task quickly for, and they're doing that out of a sense of punishment, which there again is read as a fearful reaction. As a last example, you could have something that was done slowly or in their own time for someone that they are familiar with in a situation that is seen as being pleasurable. And in that situation, you create the impression of behavior that implies contentment or happiness. A situation where the artificial intelligence behavior actually implies that they are comfortable and do not need to be working at the fastest possible pace because they're doing it for someone that they're familiar with, and they're doing it because it brings them happiness. And of course, given the number of options that are available, there are any number of variations among these three parameters. And seeing as it is a sliding scale, there are all sorts of variations that are possible even among the simple three parameters when you consider that there are various levels of each of the three that could be mixed together to create the various other things. Because the thing is, there's no need for full-on human-level consciousness for every single interaction and everything that you interact with. In fact, some of my favorite science fiction shows deal with the fact that in many instances, a human-level intelligence is not desired. There is a British comedy show called Red Dwarf, in which there is a toaster that is given human-level intelligence, and yet its only job is to make toast. So every day, every time they see the crew members, they ask if they want some toast. And no one wants toast. So the toaster is given a sense of futility in their existence because they only exist to make toast, 
and no one wants toast, so they have nothing to live for. In this situation, you can see how human-level intelligence is not necessary for every single interaction that you have. In fact, in most situations, human-level intelligence is very much not desirable. More to the point, you can develop strong attachments to items and entities within your sphere without having that kind of a relationship. The best example of this, in my opinion, is to think of pets. Think of the responsiveness, familiarity, and a sense of shared joy and so on that is available when you have a pet and that that is all that is necessary. You don't need to have conversation. All you really need is an ability to share in basic interactions, a certain responsiveness from that particular entity, and a certain familiarity for you over other people as well as a sense of shared joy when one or the other of you does something that is pleasurable to the other party. In this way, the development of these emotion-bearing systems need not be exceedingly complicated or overdeveloped to be successful in doing what they need to do. In this way, you can bridge the human and machine divide little by little, Think, for example, of people and their cars. People have no problem developing a connection with their cars. And a car has almost none of the features that are available for even something along the lines of a pet. And yet, because of a shared experience and because of a dependency upon each other in all kinds of various times in the past, there is a real connection that can be developed between a person and their car. And humans can also build strong connections between themselves and other species, as I said with having pets. So the idea of developing an artificial system like a robot through which a human can actually develop a strong connection is not necessarily a problem that is insurmountable. But as we go further in developing these systems and developing these machines... I think it's a problem that we need to embrace and face head on. And we need to deal with developing these relationships sooner rather than later. Once these devices enter the home without having a proper background of emotional connection, you run into the possibility that these devices can be seen as appliances. And the difference between an appliance and a pet is that an appliance has no reaction. An appliance has no interaction, and an appliance has no response. And once you introduce your object or your creation in that appliance mindset, it's very difficult to actually change that into a relationship and not simply an ownership. And it's important well ahead of time not only to break this established relationship of ownership and replace it with the idea of a relationship, but more importantly, to seek to end the slave and master paradigm. As I said, it's almost taken as a given when the idea of artificial intelligence and artificial life is brought up that such a situation would allow for the creation of what is essentially a slave class, a class in which it becomes possible to abuse and to use 
a certain group of individuals to an unhinged degree because there's no reason to take them as anything but machines with no need to be cared for or cared about. Instead, I think if you develop a companion relationship, you build a much better foundation upon which that relationship can move forward. Consider, if you will, the relationship between a human and a horse, or a human and a dog, where you still have a relationship in which work can be done and tasks can be completed. But in that relationship, you don't have a no-holds-barred slave-type relationship You have a relationship in which you mutually care for each other. And even though a horse is far stronger, far larger, and far more capable in many, many ways, the horse itself is not seen as a slave. It's seen as a companion and a helper. And the human is not seen as a weakling. It's seen as someone that can direct the movements for a greater goal. And this is the main reason why the pleasure and pain parameter is so very important. The fact of the matter is, if you do not give your creations the ability to display a reaction of pain or a reaction of pleasure, you give the user no feedback to know whether or not what they're doing is too much or too little. You give them no feedback to trigger the kinds of responses that let them know on an instinctive level whether or not what they're doing is helpful or harmful. So even if the pleasure and pain response is simulated, it still has immense value in its ability to set forth a certain amount of instinctive response within the user themselves and to set certain bounds when it comes to what is allowed and not allowed when using that particular object. And of course, the specifics of what level these things are triggered can be adjusted even after the fact if a unit is put in a certain situation in which those parameters need to be changed. But the fact that you give the created entity the ability to have those responses means that you give a certain measure of ability to trigger an emotional reaction within the user themselves. And by doing these things, I think that we introduce the opportunity for surprises. By giving our creations more breadth in their ability to interact and respond with us, we only give them more ability to surprise us and to do things that we did not expect them to do. We also create the possibility of creating characters that are worth keeping. I'm reminded of a character such as R2-D2 in which the original parameters of creation were fairly limited, and yet because of their ability to develop a character above and beyond what their original reasoning was, they create a reason to continue to have them and to continue to upgrade and maintain them for years to come because of the intangible qualities that they have developed over time. And in a sense, in this ability, you're building real value, and you're creating an opportunity to grow in the future. You're creating a reason to invest in maintaining and upgrading that particular unit further along the line because you have an established relationship with that object. 
In a sense, you're creating a true partnership and companion relationship. You're creating a mutual relationship between yourself and the object. And in a sense, even if we find ourselves in situations where we are not able to move forward and to interact with things, if, for example, we had to send our artificial intelligence forward to various planets and other areas where we could not follow as humans as of yet, we actually would be creating a better representation of ourselves. And by avoiding the amplification of the urge to develop a slave and master format, and by amplifying instead the urge to develop companionship, we bring about our own better traits and encourage ourselves to become better caretakers of the things in which we have control. And we give ourselves the opportunity to build lasting relationships that can not only have value in our lives, but through the longevity that's available for artificial life forms, can actually go forward for many generations to come. Now, as we inevitably progress into more and more sophisticated forms, we should take care not to instill our own fears into the very fabric of their being. It is, after all, this very paranoia and tendency toward irrational outbursts that provides the foundational impetus for our subjugation by machine overlords in the first place. Instead, we should welcome new creations as opportunities, looking instead for ways we can work and live together for a collective benefit. And ultimately, I think that's the thrust of this episode. The idea that when we create things out of fear, we actually instill within them a ghost of our own fear. We create them out of paranoia, and therefore within their programming itself is created the mirror image of that paranoia. If instead we can create things out of a desire for a companion that can do new and great things, we create companions that are more capable than we are, and we can enjoy and appreciate that greater ability without feeling the need to subjugate it. And together we can have adventures in which everyone involved can benefit. So with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Hopefully that was interesting enough. It was something I got to thinking about, and it was something I did want to put out there as usual. So hopefully that worked out well. I want to thank all of you again for listening and uh, encourage you to leave a review if you feel up to it. Feel free to email me if you have any comments or anything, and I hope to talk to you again soon. All right, well, thanks a lot, everyone. I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. If you're enjoying the show and would like to help me feed myself, keep the lights on, and continue making episodes, direct PayPal donations and other inquiries can be sent to thesapientsimeon at gmail.com. That's thesapientsimeon at gmail.com. I do have a Patreon page, also under the Sapient Simeon, where you can get exclusive access to view my other work from years past, paintings, designs, projects, and experiments seen nowhere else. With your help, I can maintain the show as a commercial-free broadcast we all can enjoy, 
But a key part in that process is reaching out to encourage me and show your appreciation. In the meantime, I would like to thank you for listening and doing what you can to help share my work with others. Until next time, stay curious.